You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn East. While our world is in a season of uncertainty, we know God rules over all things. In this series, we'll explore the opportunity before us to reflect, recalibrate our lives, and return to God with all of our hearts. Peace be with you. Before we jump into today's sermon, I wanted to take a moment to say a few words. This is the third Sunday that we haven't gathered in a row, something that's unprecedented in our history as a church. Right now I'm standing in an empty auditorium. It's just me and Eddie in the back who's doing the recording. And I have to say three weeks in, this still feels very strange and it still feels very unnatural. At the same time, it's revealed to me just how much I love our Sunday gatherings and how much I cherish getting to worship alongside of you. And I am filled with an eager longing for the day when we will be able to gather together again. I want you to know on behalf of not only myself, but the other leaders and staff, that all of the emails, the texts, the phone calls, even the handwritten letters of encouragement that you've mailed to us, they have meant the world to us over the last few weeks. And I want to say thank you for that. I also want to say thank you to those of you who give to support the mission of our church. 100% of our funding comes from our people, and your giving is more vital now than it's ever been. It's vital not only in that it will sustain us during this pandemic, but even more, it will strengthen us so that we're able to respond to the new challenges and the new opportunities that we're going to face in the weeks and months to come. If you normally give during our services, I want you to know that you can give online at sojournchurch.com slash give east. I also recognize that the past few weeks have been very hard for many of you. Some of you have had your hours at work be cut. Some of you have, have lost your jobs. And right now you're living with a lot of financial uncertainty. And you're probably carrying a lot of anxiety about the future. To you, I want to say that in the spirit of Galatians 6-2, where Paul encourages us to carry one another's burdens, we as a church have started an emergency benevolence fund to be able to help our people who are in need. And so if you need help making ends meet right now or in the weeks and months to come, whether it be paying utility bills, covering your groceries, medical expenses, please visit sojournchurch.com slash resources. You scroll to the bottom of that page and all the information you need, you can find there. If you'd like to contribute to this fund, you can go to that same page and there's an option to give. And I want you to know that every dollar that's given to this fund is going to go to help other people in our church who are in need. Now to the sermon. I said last week that in in response to this strange and unprecedented moment we find ourselves living in, we're starting a new series, which we've entitled This Incredible Opportunity. And the reason we gave it that title is because in the midst of all of the uncertainty that we feel right now, and in the midst of all of the adversity we're experiencing and we're going to experience in the the days to come, I see so much possibility for what could happen through all of this. I see so much possibility for the good that can occur, not just in our lives, but in the life of our church. I see so much possibility for us to grow and to deepen as, God, in, as God's people 
and to grow and deepen and live more fully into the calling that God has put on our lives. And so in light of this, I want to encourage you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles 36. You know, over the last year, I've spent a lot of time reading and reflecting on the years that God's people lived as exiles in Babylon. You know, we preached through Esther and Daniel in my own personal study and reflection. I've spent a lot of time in Jeremiah, Ezra, Nehemiah. And what led me there was, it was really one question. And the question was, what does a life of deep faithfulness look like in a world that seems to be pushing our faith more and more to the margins? And that's a question I've sat with for a long time. It's been at the the forefront of my thinking. And then this pandemic hit and that question's kind of faded to the background. What hasn't faded to the background though is are, are these texts that I've been immersing myself in. You know, God's word is eternally relevant. And I think that a lot of these passages that talk about exile, they speak powerfully to the moment we find ourselves in. And what we have here in 2 Chronicles 36, we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 21. We have the account of when the Babylonians came in and they destroyed Jerusalem and they carried God's people off to Babylon. The author writes, speaking of the Babylonians, he says that they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He, that's the king of Babylon, took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. We talked about these events in last week's sermon. This was by far the darkest, most tragic moment in Israel's history up until this point. And in the book of Jeremiah, we learn that this wasn't just a tragic twist of fate, but rather this was something that was orchestrated by God. You see, for centuries, the Jewish people, they had been drifting from God. They had grown lazy and indifferent in their faith. They had made unholy political alliances, and God, in mercy and love, sent prophet after prophet after prophet to call the people back to him, to warn them that where they were going was leading to destruction. But his people, instead of listening to those prophets, they tried to put them to death. And so after hundreds of years of warning and pleading, God finally hands them over to their enemies. This was an act of judgment God had warned them about this all the way back in the book of Leviticus, telling them that if they did not keep the statutes, that they would be driven from the land and that the land would lay dormant, that the land would enjoy Sabbaths that it didn't enjoy during their years of disobedience. Now, what's really struck me in all of this is not the judgment. What's really struck me is the grace that God shows his people in the midst of the judgment. You know, while almost everyone was carried off to in exile to, to live in exile in Babylon, there were a few Jews who remained in Jerusalem. And the assumption that everyone had is that those who were taken captive and carried away, 
everyone just assumed that, that they were the ones who were under God's wrath. Everyone assumed that since they'd been cut off from the land, that meant that they'd been cut off from not only their inheritance, but also cut off from God's promises. But what God does in the book of Jeremiah, he reveals that his ways are not like our ways. And in Jeremiah 29, God, he, he speaks through Jeremiah who sends a letter to these exiles living in Babylon who just feel so confused, discouraged, disoriented. And God says to them, and this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. He says to them, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. No doubt that most of us have seen these verses before. They're powerful and they're wonderful. But oftentimes we read these verses and we kind of think that God's saying, listen, I'm going to bless all of your plans and I'm going to make you prosperous. But when we keep this in context, I would argue that that the real power and wonder of the promises here, that's when it really comes to light because these are people who are living in the darkest of circumstances, who have absolutely no hope, who look around them and see nothing but darkness. And God pierces that darkness with the light of his promise. When he says, listen, I know this is hard. I know you're struggling, but I have a plan for you in this. Now God's plan the heart of it, it wasn't to make his people rich and carefree. It was to make them whole. And in Jeremiah 24, the Lord actually tells Jeremiah what he's going to do in the lives of these exiles. He says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. and They shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. God is in essence saying, I'm going to use this time that they're living in exile, it's going to be a time in which I renew their hearts. I remind them of who they are as my people. And when all is said and done, they're going to return to me with their whole heart. Now, as I think about all that's transpired over the past few weeks, all that's happening around us, uh, like the great disruption and how disorienting all of this is, it's hard to not feel a bit like we've been sent into a modern-day exile. Now, I, I want to be really careful, um, and we need to be careful not to make a one-to-one -one correlation between our situation today and theirs. There's a lot that's changed. We live in a different era. We live in a different chapter. In God's story of redemption— it was very clear while they were being carried away into exiles because of their sin and rebellion, and God sent plenty of prophets to warn them. But why we're experiencing what we're experiencing right now, it's not clear at all. It's not clear at all why God has allowed and even ordained this virus to be unleashed on our world. And I'd like to take that a step further and say that it's not, it's not just simplistic and naive, it's also dangerous for anyone to claim that this virus is God's judgment on some particular sin. We don't know why this virus is running loose. It's a mystery. And so we need to be careful in how we connect passages like the one we just read to our lives right now. 
But I do want to say there's a connection. There is a connection between then and now. And what's the connection? Well, in his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer, he has a chapter called God Unchanging, and he poses this exact question. He asks, how are we to understand events in the Bible that happened thousands of years ago that seem so distant and so strange to us? I mean, so much has changed between their circumstances and our circumstances. But what Packer says is the one thing that hasn't changed is God. The same God who ruled over the world then is the same God who rules over our world now. He hasn't changed and his ways haven't changed. Packer writes, speaking of God, he says, still he blesses those on whom he sets his love in a way that humbles them so that all glory may be his alone. Still, he hates the sins of his people, and he uses all kinds of inward and outward pains and griefs to wean their hearts from compromise and disobedience. Still, he seeks the fellowship of his people and sends them both sorrows and joys in order to detach their love from other things and attach it to himself. God often works the same ways today as he did back then. And if we, if we were to step back and survey all of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and even 2,000 years of church history, a pattern starts to emerge. And the pattern is this. When God wants to deepen his people, when he wants to refine and renew his people, he often leads them into some sort of exile or some sort of wilderness. I mean, this goes all the way back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden and we see it throughout Genesis. We see it in Abraham and Sarah's life. We see it when Joseph is sent to Egypt. We see it in the Exodus when Moses and the Israelites spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. We see it in the life of David and the life of Elijah. We see it in Jonah even when he's exiled for three days in the, the belly of the fish. We see this in the New Testament. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. Paul, after his conversion, he's driven into the wilderness. No one really knows where he went, but he disappears for seven years and comes out of it a different man. We even see it in the life of Jesus. Before his public ministry began, God drove him by his spirit into the wilderness. When God wants to deepen his people, when he wants to refine and renew his people, he often leads them into a wilderness or into an exile. And when I think about this moment of our, in our lives and in the life of our church, I can't help but wonder if that is not the good that God is working out in the midst of all of this uncertainty and pain. I can't help but think that this is God's goal for us in this moment, that we might be refined and we might be renewed as his people. I mean, God has created a whole lot of space in our life right now. Most of us, like we live such busy lives. We run from appointment to appointment, meeting to meeting, responsibility to responsibility. We don't have much time and we don't make much time to ever step back and really reflect on our lives, really reflect on how we're living, how we're interacting with one another, what we're chasing after. I think this lack of reflection, it's one of the main reasons we find ourselves getting stuck in life. We're just, 
we're caught up in the grind of life and we just, we're just spinning our wheels, but we never feel like we're making progress. And then this moment comes along. It turns our lives upside down, but I think it presents us with a great opportunity to, to break up that cycle, a great opportunity to change some things. Because all of a sudden we have space in our lives that we didn't have before. And what we're doing in this series is we're trying to challenge you and encourage you to not fill up this, this newfound space you have with things that aren't going to be helpful. Don't fill it up with reading the news 24-7. That's probably just going to fill you with more anxiety. Don't fill it up with things that are just going to numb you. Instead, see the opportunity in this moment and do some hard work that needs to be done on your soul. Last week, I invited you to set aside some time to lament, to set aside some time to, to be still and to let all that's churning within you rise to the surface so that you might bring all of that to God in prayer. And if the call last week was to listen to your soul, the call I want to put before you this week is to look at your life to do some deep, focused reflection, not just on how you've been living over the last few weeks, but really on how you've been living over the last few years. This is a chance for us to step back and to examine ourselves, as Paul says. And so I want to encourage you to find some time this week to do some real deep reflection. And I want to encourage you to start probably with your wins, I think a good way to start this act of deep, focused reflection is to ask a question like, hey, where have I grown in the last few years? What victories can I celebrate? Maybe it's victories over particular sins. Maybe it's healthy patterns or habits you've established in your life. Maybe it's ways that you've grown in grace and virtue. But start with your wins. As you think back on the last three years, where have you grown? What can you celebrate? After you've done that, then I think it's really helpful to ask the question, where do I want to grow? How do I want to grow? Maybe better, who do I want to become? Three years from now, how do I want to be different? What do I want to be free of? What do I want to be able to say about myself? What do I want my friends and spouse to be able to say about me then that they're unable to say about me right now? I have more questions that you can ask for reflection. One, how are you handling God basically putting the brakes on everything? Are you actually able to slow down in this moment? Or is your life slowed down, but your mind and your thoughts, are they still racing? If so, what, that, what might that reveal about your heart and about where you're finding your identity? I found it very hard to slow down. I feel busier than ever. And it's been really challenging and forced me to ask some hard questions. Another question that I've been asking, in what areas does this sense of entitlement that I have, is it being exposed? I don't like to think of myself as an entitled person, but man, a lot of things are being revealed. God is showing me a lot about myself in areas I want to grow. Other questions. Are there any areas of moral compromise or outright disobedience that God might be trying to wean you from? Are any of your relationships not right? 
Are you loving the people in your life, the people closest to you well? And going back to that Packer quote, what things might God be trying to detach your hands from right now? What might he be trying you to let go of so that you might more fully grab hold of him? And I want to say this is hard work. And most of us, we don't do this work, not, not just because we're busy, but because it's so hard. It can be hard to sit with these questions. It can be hard to even talk through your answers to these questions with other people. It can be really hard to face reality. And then what makes it harder is we're in this time of exile, this wilderness period, and, and oftentimes it's in times like this where God often feels most distant and detached. I know a lot of you right now, God feels very, very far. And my encouragement to you is that's where we need to trust God's promises regardless of our circumstances. And I think that's why God gave these promises, said, Jeremiah, you got to write a letter and send the word to them because they're not going to have a lot of hope, but they need to be filled with hope even though the situation around them, surrounding them seems fairly hopeless. God gave them promises. He gave us promises too. Romans 8, 1, he gave us the promise that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what that means is in Christ, we are given the freedom and the power to actually do this work of reflection. We're given freedom knowing that through the cross, our standing with God is secure. Through the cross, God's love, it, it, it's not dependent on how well we perform, how moral we are. His love is steady and sure because of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. This enables us to actually do the hard work and ask the hard questions. It gives us the ability to be honest with God, with ourselves and one another. But through the finished work of Christ, we're not just given freedom to do this work. We're also given power because God has put his spirit within us and his spirit is seeking to conform us to the image of Jesus. And he's given the power for us to, to see ourselves as we truly are, to gain a vision of who God wants us to become. And then he gives us supernatural power to grow into that vision. He is committed to our good and to our growth. You know, I believe this season so much. I believe that, that it's a gift from God. I'm not saying that there's not hard things in this, but I think that there's a real gift before us, that God is inviting us to do some deep work on our souls so that we might experience deep change. And I do believe that he's, he's giving us this time to prepare us for what's going to come next. I do believe that there are going to be some very real challenges that we're going to face in the weeks and months ahead and months ahead, but there's also going to be a lot of opportunities put before us that we can step into. And he's giving us space and time to grow so that we will be equipped and prepared and ready to do so. Let me pray. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com slash east.